Hey, my name is David. I'm the pastor here at Stonebridge. Glad y'all are with us this morning. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Luke 3. John the Baptist, we haven't seen him in 30 years. In uh, Luke 1, chapter, uh, verse 80, we see John the Baptist goes into the wilderness. The Bible says, until the word of the Lord comes to him. And that will pick up for us in chapter 3, verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And John went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. We'll pause there. So this is 26 or 27 A.D. John's about 30. So last week we looked at Jesus kind of getting lost in the temple. That was 18 years ago. Not a whole lot of activity. The first three chapters of John cover 30 years, 31 years actually of history. Don't have a lot of detail. So here we're picking up. Things are about to take on a lot more momentum as both John and then next week we'll see Jesus stepping onto the public scene. John has been in the wilderness. Don't think desert. Just think a desolate area. He's near a river and the word of God comes to him. What is this word? He, he preaches a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Baptism, he's in the Jordan River. Massive numbers of people are coming to him, according to Matthew and Luke. It says everyone is coming to him. These huge crowds of regular people, of sinners, and of religious leaders. They're all coming to see him. He's preaching to them. Those who are repenting, that is changing their mind. That's what repent means. They're changing their mind. They're going from disagreeing with God to agreeing with God. And that is a sign of that. They're coming into the Jordan River and he's dunking them. And that's what John is doing. And all of this is to fulfill this word from Isaiah. You're going to prepare the way. Roads are always in bad shape. The only time roads are tended to is when a king is going to walk on them. And then we go and we do some work to make the road better for the king. And that's John's job. You're going to make the road better because the king is coming behind you. You're going to level mountains. You're going to fill in valleys. You're going to straighten things that are crooked. You're going to kind of, quote, make it easier for the Messiah to come after you. This is a fulfillment of the word that was given to his father when he was conceived through the angel Gabriel. This is this is what your son is going to do. He's going to turn people back to the Lord. There's a similar word was given to uh, his father on the when he was born, the day he was born. Son, this is what you're going to do. You're going to be the one who prepares the way for the most high. You can see those verses there uh, from Luke just to remind you of John's responsibilities. Verse 7. John said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God's able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. 
Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? He said, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers also asked, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Don't extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. So all of these crowds are coming. John, being the great PR guy that he is, says, You're a brood of vipers. Who told you? To flee from the wrath, the righteous anger of God that is coming. Wrath is God's righteous anger directed towards sin. And John says, who told you to run away from it? It wasn't me because what your idea is wrong. You think just because you're Jews, you think just because you're children of Abraham that you're going to be okay. Let me tell you, God can make children from Abraham out of rocks. He formed a nation from a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old wife. He's got no problem making babies. That's not the issue here. You're not going to flee from the wrath to come just because you come and I dunk you. Getting wet has nothing to do with this. It's not your ancestry. It's not following this religious ritual. Neither of those things is what's going to enable you to be saved. You need to change your life. You need to repent, go from disagreeing to agreeing with God, and then there needs to be evidence of that repentance. And they're going, what do we need to do then? And there's three different groups. There's a common theme you'll see, he says to all of them, it has to do with economics and their understanding of money. And as we get into Luke, you'll see a huge issue for Jesus, particularly in Luke, is money. How we treat money and how we treat the poor. We won't spend a ton of time on it today. We'll wait to hear what Jesus has to say about it. But again, it's enlightening that of everything John says in terms of fruit, He points straight to people's pocketbooks and say, that's where we're going to see it. We're going to see it in the way you deal with your money. So the crowds are coming, and he says to them, if you've got two shirts, you can't wear two shirts at the same time, so give one of them away. Tax collectors come to him. Very interesting. Tax collectors, they're the bottom of the barrel. Nobody likes them. They're in collaboration with this pagan government. They cheat people. That's how they make their money. Rome says take 10% and then whatever you get on the top you get to keep. And so they're jacking up the rates because they get to keep everything else. And rather than saying quit your job, he says you you need to quit cheating people. That's what you need to do. Just charge people what the government sets. Don't go over that. Don't be so greedy. Soldiers, again, nobody liked them. They're working for the Roman government, they could use their position to intimidate people, to extort money from them. And John says, stop it. Be content with what you have. Verse 15, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So everybody's saying, all right, we're hearing this message. You've got these massive crowds. Are you the guy? Are you the one who's going to make everything right? Are you the Messiah? And John very clearly says, it's not me. If you remember back a few weeks ago when we looked at John's birth story, we said God through Gabriel, this angel, gives a framework to Zechariah. Here are the boundary lines for John. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to prepare the way. And John knew that. And he stuck with that. He didn't go reaching for something that wasn't his. He said, so far am I not the one. I'm not even worthy to scrape the gum off of his shoe. He's in in another league for me. I'm baptizing you in water. And it's significant. It symbolizes that you're going from disagreeing with God to agreeing with God. But this guy, the one who's coming after me, whole different ballgame. 
He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That phrase, baptized with the Holy Spirit, can be confusing. It means several different things in Luke and in Acts. In this context, it's referring to salvation. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 talks, says the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. That's what John is referring to. He's saying, the one who's coming out, I can prepare you for him. And you can, you can repent and get ready for him. He's the one that brings salvation and judgment. Here's a picture of a winnowing fork. That's what he says. He's got one of those things in his hand. And we're all that pile of wheat. And he's going to throw us up in the air. And the wheat is going to fall back down. And he's going to gather it up into the barn. And the chaff is going to blow away. And he's going to gather it up and burn it. Those are your two choices. Barn or burn. That's what John says. That's the message that Jesus is going to bring. And he says, that's not my message. He's coming after me. So with many other exhortations, John preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who'd been reproved by John for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. So we have John, fearless, bold, says to Herod, who's the governor of his region, Herod has married his former sister-in-law. So Herod's brother is married to this lady, Herodias. They get a divorce, and Herod marries her. According to Leviticus, that's incest, and John says so. He says, you're wrong. And Herod says, well, you're going to jail. And you know the rest of the story. John never gets out. He winds up getting his head cut off um, while after he's been in jail uh, for several years. And so that's the end of John's public ministry. He burns bright. He burns hot. It doesn't last uh, for an incredibly long time, but he fulfills the calling that God has on his life. And that's where I want us to spend a couple of minutes. When I think of John, we have a man and we have his message. John as a man, for me, is a great example of, in our lingo, what it means to do your deal. He understood that God has a calling on my life. There's purpose. There's destiny for me. And he goes after it. And he lives fully into what God's calling is. He, the good works that God has created for him to do, John executes those things until he's thrown, actually until he gets his head cut off. We even will hear from him again, even in jail. And so for us, just a few things uh, I'd like to point out that hopefully will be encouraging uh, to you as you move forward and try to figure out what God is calling you to do. Uh, first thing, your calling, most important for me, for us to get in our minds, our calling, your calling, is a part of this broader work of what God is doing in the community. That might seem very obvious to you. I think it's important to remind ourselves. For John, easy. He was, his coming was predicted in the Old Testament. An angel shows up to his dad uh, before he's conceived and said, here's the thing for your son. Didn't happen for me. My birth is not predicted in the Bible. My parents have never told me that an angel talked to them about me. And so it can be a little trickier for us to recognize that the good works that God has for you to do and has for me to do actually matter. We can see them as optional extras. It's not the way I read the Bible. These are good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do, responsibilities and opportunities that if you'll step into them will allow you to cooperate with what God is doing in the city and in the world. We cut our cable off about seven months ago, and this is our substitute. You can feel sorry for my kids if you want. We do puzzles sometimes. Those are thousand-piece puzzles. And so we've got, we have this little table, and we open them up and put them out. And I have, our kids take different approaches. I have one who's a low-hanging fruit guy. 
He just does the border and then he's out. He's done. After he's contributed, I have one who's very diligent and she kind of gets in there and starts working and she wants to kind of finish it up. I have one. I call him the finisher. He waits until there's five pieces left and then he does them and goes, look what I did. You know, so however, what I want you to see. Pictures within a picture, your calling, your purpose, your destiny, your deal, whatever you want to call it. It's one of those pictures. Some of you are bit oh honey. That's one of the worst candies ever made. That's some of you. That's your thing. And that little piece, you're working on that. You're part of this broader context of what's going on. Here's one to me where we live, one of the most common tactics of the enemy is to get us to do this. And we live like this. And what I want you to do is just lift up your head a little bit and look out and see what God is doing in our city and see what God is doing in our world to recognize You've got a life, absolutely. You've got to figure out the Cocoa Puff piece. But that's not it. That is part of this much broader work that God is inviting you into. You need to live your life well 100%, but you will live your life well only if you understand how your life fits into the context of what God is doing. And that's what I want to encourage you to begin to think through. When I start talking about calling, some of you go, I don't have time for that. And what I want to say is it doesn't matter. Make time for it. There's nothing more important. This is the reason God created you. These are good works he made in advance for you to do. And I want you to grab onto them. And it won't be a burden. There'll be fruit there for you. There'll be joy. There'll be peace. You will say, I promise, you will say, I was made to do this. It's not always easy, but it's fulfilling Because the same God that formed you and knit you together in Psalm 139, also in Ephesians 2.10, said, I've got some things for you to do, and he didn't forget from one to the next. The same author inspired both of those passages. The one who formed you and knit you together is the same one who created a life for you to live. It will fit together for you. I think of John and Anna. Both of them were preparing the way For the Messiah, two very different people who had very different um, ways of executing that calling. And they both fit. John, to me, is kind of this antisocial guy. He's raised in the woods. He's a wild man. In Matthew 3, 4, we see he eats insects. He has this camel hair tunic thing that he wears and a belt that's a prophet's belt that he wears around his waist. He's got no stake. In society, He's got no place. He lives in the woods and he doesn't care. And that's why it doesn't matter to him how many people come. He doesn't care if they're crowds. He doesn't care if they're tax collectors. He doesn't care if they're soldiers. He doesn't care if they're religious leaders. He doesn't care if it's the king. His message is the same. If you're wrong, you need to repent. And you need to get right with the Lord. And again, it's not about your ancestry and it's not about getting wet. It's about changing your life. He's perfectly made for that calling. Anna, way different. She's a woman. She can't have a public place. She's widowed at 19 or 20 years old, which allows her without family to stay in the temple. She's not neglecting anyone. She can give herself to worship and prayer and fasting in the temple because there's honestly, there's, there's no one else for her. She has this tenacious faith where she can pray for the same thing for 64 years. 
Both of them are preparing the way for the Messiah. Anna through prayer and worship and fasting and waiting. And John through this very public ministry of confrontational ministry where he's calling people to repent. And both of those expressions fit them perfectly. When we see in chapter 7 of Luke, when Jesus is talking about John, he says, we told you the same thing. Jesus' message is the same as John. Repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus says, you're like kids. And you went to a funeral and you didn't like it. And you went to a wedding and you didn't like it either. You don't like any. And and that's a picture to me. Jesus and John, same message. Two different ways of approaching it. Two different ways of calling people to respond to this message. I say all that just to say this for you. It's going to fit. This is nothing that you need to shy away from. I want you to step into it because it's going to fit you. Jesus says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That means it fits you well. It's not going to rub you the wrong way. If you can trust him as your father, the same one who made you, who also made a life for you to live, if you can step into that, then I think you'll begin to see what I'm talking about. So what does that look like for us? How do we begin to grab on to what our deal is? We don't have time to walk through them, use your phone, take pictures. I see y'all doing that. Talk to Kim. She'll email you the slides. But I want you, this isn't, you're not waiting for lightning. You're not waiting for an angel to show up in your room and say, here's what you need to do. There's a process you can walk through. I would strongly encourage you to walk through it individually in community. You need to walk through these questions personally. You need to do them in community. Great thing to do with your small group. Look up. Look for ways God has spoken directly for to you. John, he has those. He's got angels speaking to his parents. Again, most of us are not going to have that, but God does speak to us, and we want to make note of that next. Look back. Oftentimes, your past is an indicator of the direction that God wants to take you down. You can look and see, these are the places where I've been successful, or in biblical terminology, these are the places that I've seen fruit Most likely you've seen fruit there because God has gifted you in those areas. And so now all I want you to do is apply that to the kingdom. I was talking to a guy yesterday and he can talk all day long about how where he sees fruit at work. And he says, I have no idea how God wants to use me. It's just a matter of taking all of this stuff that you already know you're good at. And let's take it and put it in this kingdom bucket. It applies. Not that difficult. Let's see the next. Look in. God designed you uniquely. This one's really hard for me. Not going to be hard for some of you. Really hard for me. I don't experience a lot of these emotions. And so when you ask what makes me mad, talking about my feelings makes me mad. Or what, what am I passionate about? Those types of things. But it could very well be that that's how the Lord will lead you. It could very well be that the things that make you angry make you angry because they're unrighteous. And they don't make me angry. And that may be a signal that God is saying, I want you to get involved in that. That fires you up because it fires me up. And I want you to step in to that situation last. Look out. Where are you already serving? Where are you already volunteering? Not necessarily, you may not need to make any major changes. It may just be a perspective shift. Say, this is where I am and this is where God has planted me. And I just want to begin to look at that. In a new way. So again, we don't have time to dig into all that today. I just wanted to introduce you to that with the hope slash challenge to say, figure it out. Step in. Let's discover what God's calling on your life is. Let's figure out what are the good works 
that he's calling you to do. And whatever I can do to help you uh, in that process, I'm happy to do so. The message, we're going to close with this. So we have the man in the message. John's message is to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. I don't know if that sounds like works-based righteousness to you. It's not. The first thing is to say, God, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. And once I agree with you, then because I live out of my heart, there will be changes in the way that I live. So here's some things that you can do. First thing, I can't agree with God if I don't know what he says. So I have to read the Bible. I don't know how else to know what God says. I've said this before. If you're consistently reading the Bible and you're never changing your behavior, then you're reading it wrong. Because by nature, I don't agree with him. By nature, I agree with me. And there's some places where I do agree with him, but it's not all the way across the board. And so as I read the Bible, I begin to see, oh, this is what God thinks about all of these different areas of life. This is what he thinks about family, and this is what he thinks about finances, and this is what he thinks about fear, and this is what he thinks about worry, and this is what he thinks about the poor, and this is what he thinks about mission. And as I begin to see what God thinks about those things, I recognize the places where I naturally or inherently disagree with him. And so my second thing then is to acknowledge that, to confess that before him. God, I disagree with you about this. I may intellectually, if I was taking a test, I know what you would say. But if you look at my life, my life says I disagree. The fruit of my life is not good in this area. It says I'm going my own way versus submitting to your way. And so I confess that to you and then I repent, which means, again, I'm going to choose to agree with you. So I am looking like this. I'm disagreeing with you, God. I acknowledge that. I confess that with you and then I repent. And so now I'm agreeing with you. And then out of that agreement comes whatever course corrections he leads me to. And that's very individual and personal. That's where it's important to be sensitive to the voice of God, to the leading of the Spirit, because there will be fruit that comes from that. Super easy example. If you're a thief, you're disagreeing with God because he says don't steal. And when you agree with him, you're going to say, I recognize that's wrong, and I'm going to turn in this way, and guess what? Then you're not going to steal anymore. It's going to change your behavior. And most likely, you're going to pay back what you stole. That's the type of thing that I'm talking about. God said, Jesus says in Matthew 6, the Father knows every hair on your head, every single one of them, and so you don't need to worry about anything. I'll look at my life. Would you say, looking at my life, that I don't worry? Or am I anxious? If I'm anxious, if I'm worried, then I'm disagreeing with God. And I have to confess that, God, I disagree. My life says that I worry, that I feel like it's my responsibility to hold everything together. I feel like it's my responsibility to make everything happen. I feel like you don't see me or you don't care or you're not able, whatever it is, for, but I'm anxious about a whole lot of things. That's what my life says. So on the Bible competency exam, does God hold everything together? Check mark yes. My life, no. I'm disagreeing with you and I confess that to you. And now I'm choosing to turn and agree with you and say, okay, you've got this. If, if, if sparrows don't fall to the ground without you knowing, if you know every hair on my head, even as they're falling out, you can keep up with that. If you, you know, you know everything that's going on in my life. You're a good father and you're a great God. And so I'm saying now I trust you and I need you to show me what does that look like? What's the fruit? Of me trusting you? Is there anything that I need to begin to do? Is there anything I need to quit doing as an expression of the fact that I'm now agreeing with you 
and saying, you hold everything together and I don't. That's the type of process I want you to begin. And that's regular. That's not once a year at a retreat. That's a regular, weekly, even daily thing. There's so many places where I disagree. And I've got to be willing to do that. Live a life of repentance. It's, it's not, uh, I don't want you to hear that as heavy. I want you to hear that as opportunity. It's all of these places where you get to say, God, I'm choosing to align my thoughts and my life with you. And it's not just that everything's going to run better. It keeps you closer to him. Let's pray. I want you to do two things. One thing, actually. So we have time for one thing. That process that I just walked you through, I want you to do in your heart. And so I'm going to pray. I can't give you every scenario. There's too many. So I'm going to ask the Lord, and I want you just to be quiet before him. God, I pray that you would speak to each person in this room, and you would show us one area, that's all we can, just one area, where we're disagreeing with you. So whatever popped into your mind, it may be general, more likely it's a specific. I want, you to just, I want you to confess that to the Lord. God, I've been disagreeing with you in this area. And if you know why, it would be great to say that to him as well. Usually those things always get down to just not not trusting him. But I want you to say this if you can in your heart. And God, now I'm choosing to agree with you. And if you can fill in the truth, if you know what the truth is there, you can fill that in in your heart as well. And again, if you can pray this and... God, now I pray that you would speak to me, lead me, show me what it looks like to bear fruit in keeping with that decision. Is there anything I need to begin doing or anything I need to quit doing in response to this newfound agreement with you? Amen. So that simple, that was about two minutes. And you could have, you probably could have done it quicker. Again, it's not a massive ordeal. It's a simple lifestyle of repentance that I want to encourage you to begin to cultivate. We're going to have ministry here up in the front. We'll pray with you about anything that you have going on. Specifically, if you wrestle with the whole idea of purpose and calling I want to pray with you. And second, if you're tired, uh, I would like to pray with you as well. And you know what I mean. 
I don't mean you stayed up too late. You know what I mean. If you're tired, uh, we want to pray with you about either one of those two things. So ministry teams, if you guys can come forward, all of y'all can stand, and Bo will dismiss us after this song.